A lot of bulls that end up fighting, they don't waste a lot of time getting together, right? They hear each other and if they're wanting to get together, they cover the ground, they get close and, you know, they don't. If, if the ones that kind of just sit across the canyon from each other and talk back and forth. Usually they don't. Uh, they don't use it, nothing really happens. Yeah, they're like, I'm good over here. Well, I'm good over here. And there's no threat, right? But when you get close, you know, you become you're, you know threat. Either you're threatening their dominance as a as a bull, or you're threatening their breeding rights. You know, if you're too close to their cows. If it's raining hard, I'm probably not going to be tromping around out trying to call in a bull in the rain in a hard rain, just because I'm worried that the, the blood might get washed away. What I've learned is like, maybe I don't want to hunt in the downpour, but yeah. I'm not just going to sit at camp or sit at home. Um, I'm going to be staged strategically somewhere to where as soon as that weather breaks, I'm out there. And right. a lot of times, as soon as that weather breaks after a hard storm like that, man, it can, it can be good. It can be really, really good. Really? Yeah. Yeah. It'll, you know, they'll kind of come out of their little spot, maybe start feeding or maybe they'll start rutting around a little bit. It's unbelievable how good the, the gear is today. Even like maybe you couldn't, can't afford, it's not in the budget to, to buy top tier gear. You know, even the, you know, the, the baseline stuff is head and shoulders above what we had back in the eighties. I found out a long time ago hunting whitetails in Idaho that, and that last five minutes of shooting light, a lot of time that's when they move. That's when the big, especially big bucks move, you know, the little, the little bucks and the does will move. They'll come out early, but the big guys, they don't come out until it's, too dark to shoot almost uh, or a lot of times they don't come out until it's dark too dark anyway so they're nocturnal welcome to days of the wild big game hunting podcast i'm going into my 15th year of podcasting can't believe it's been that long i want to thank you all for helping me keep this fresh and staying motivated to bring you new content etc it hasn't been easy but uh it helps me fuel my own passion for hunting speaking of helping me keep this going Please go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags and use promo code John Stallone, all one word, to save 20%. And lastly, if you could, go to Howl for Wildlife and become a member. We have partnered with Go Hunt, so now you could get your cake and eat it too. What, I, what do I mean by this? Well, you can go to Go Hunt, and if you look at their Insider full subscription, it's $149. And with the Insider, you get the explorer as well so we have both packages but explorer is is their mapping software and it's completely dedicated just to hunting you know it's got the public and private land boundaries offline maps 3d point tracker and all the western states are included it's a it's a great tool so you get that plus with the insider you get the advanced filtering and search tools industry leading draw odds unit profiles and uh, easy to read state regulation overviews and species profiles and expert insights and all this exclusive content plus monthly giveaways so the go hunt insider subscription is an awesome deal right but it's 149 dollars a year and if you've been on the fence and didn't know you if you wanted to spend that 149 dollars let me tell you it's really worth it but we're going to make it even sexier for you because if you come to Halfa Wildlife's site and you go to our membership portal and purchase a insider or a explorer package you not only get a free subscription to go hunt and get all those awesome benefits that we talked about but you get all the benefits of becoming a Halfa Wildlife member and that includes our discounts with our partners, 20% or more with our partners. You are automatically included in the Halfa Wildlife giveaway, monthly giveaways for gear and hunt giveaways for the year. Plus, as a 501c3, your portion of your membership is tax deductible and you're helping out a great cause. Alpha Wildlife is out there advocating for the hunter and helping educate the non-hunting public so that uh, we can keep doing this for for perpetuity here and so that our kids and our grandkids can enjoy it. And uh, it's a really great system and we're super thankful that uh, Go Hunt jumped on board with us. And um, 
It's a great way to support Alpha Wildlife. It's a great way to get awesome tools that you will use. I use Go Hunt Insider all the time. I've been a member for a very long time, and it's how I get a lot of my tags by doing the research through there. And now you're getting extra stuff with it. So it's a great, great system. So go check it out. Become a member today. And uh, let's roll into this next episode. Thanks. Hi, welcome to Days in the Wild Big Game Hunting Podcast. Today, we're going to do a little storytelling session with uh, Dirk Durham. Uh, every, you know, every time I say your name, man, I want to say Dirk Diggler. <laughs> I, I don't know if you ever get, get that a lot, but I get that. I've got, I've got a, a certain group of friends that that's what they call me is Diggler. And, uh, and sometimes when I introduce myself, I introduce myself as Dirk Diggler. And most of the time it goes right over people's heads, but every now and then they kind of look at me and like grin a little bit like, ah, you sucker. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. But, uh, well, so those of you who don't know who Dirk is, he's a world champion elk caller. He's associated, or I don't know, what position do you hold with uh, with Phelps? I'm the marketing manager. Marketing manager. The marketing yep. manager of Phelps. There you go. So uh, why don't you give us a little more in-depth rundown about you, and then we'll uh, we'll kind of get after it. Yeah, I'm marketing manager at Phelps. Um, man, I... I wear a lot of different hats here from uh, social media management to content creation to editing videos to R&D of new products to project management sometimes. Uh, man, I've, I've done just about everything, customer service. I, I do lots of different hats, and you never know when I might have to put on a different hat on my day-to-day grind here. But I've been elk hunting for 30 – this will be my 33rd year nice. um, this fall. And uh, started elk hunting when I was with a bow uh, when I was thir- uh, 15 years old, and uh, man, I just I haven't missed a season since. That's awesome. That is awesome. I've been I think I've been hunting elk now for almost 30 years too. Yeah, it's been about 30. I've been living in Arizona since 1991. Oh wow! And I think my first elk hunt was that very next year. Was I didn't have the tag with my uncle had a rifle tag, and then after that, yeah. So yeah, right about then. I yeah. I, I definitely haven't had the uh, success that you've had over the years, and. Um, or the opportunity. I don't. I had. I didn't go every year until about so in the last within the last ten years, because I really didn't put out of state or go out of state. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I did. I had a so like a ten years or eleven years ago. Now I had a Wyoming tag when I and I got a nice bull there. Um, and then I went maybe one time, I think, to Colorado, but I wasn't. I wasn't playing the over-the-counter game. I wasn't, you know, going. Oh, we went one time in Idaho too, but um, we were way up north, and they, the wolves, had them all quiet and everything. And they weren't. Uh, it wasn't a very good hunt. But uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I was, you know, I was relying on getting tags here in Arizona, and it was like, you know, you, you go once every five years. <laughs> Oh, yeah, that was no then. Kidding. Now it's like now it's like one every one tag every ten years, you know. So it's, it's tough. Yeah, yeah. I've I've had yeah. I've only had two rut tags myself here in Arizona. I've had two wow. rut, two rut bull and two no three three late season archery, and I. Did not tag out on one of the, one of the late season archeries. I got two two bulls out of those three tags. Okay, and I only tagged out one bull on my on my two um, rut tags. I shot a bull, but we couldn't find it. The second one. Oh dang it! Yeah, it was a shitty shitty situation. And then I had a, I had a pile of not a pile, but I had like four or five cow tags early on when I was just wanting to go and figure things out way back in the day when I was shooting aluminum arrows and shit. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> back in the good old days. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, uh, anyway, so, um, yeah, I kind of w- wanted to see if you had any like cool stories where maybe you learned something about elk hunting and it kind of changed the way you hunt today. 
or, you know, you had like a aha moment of some sort where you figured something out? Well, one particular, well, I don't know if it's one particular time, but when I first started bow hunting, um, there just wasn't a lot of information out there in 1989 of how to do it. Um, you know, you had a few VHS videos, uh, good old Larry D Jones and some of those, uh, um, elk hunting pioneers, you know, from the, of the calling era, early calling area there. And I watched some of those, read a few books, but my dad, he wasn't a bow hunter by any means. He, he thought it was ridiculous. He's like, you can't kill an elk with a bow. And, <laughs> and I think he might even have said them damn bow hunters a few times, you know, right. um, <laughs> cause you know, if, a if, a if an elk or deer gets away from a bow hunter and we don't find it, you know, there's sometimes oftentimes an arrow, you know, in the, in the, in the remains, whereas a, a rifle kill, well, who knows? I mean, you find a, a, a dead animal and, and there's not an obvious hole, like it's not a fresh kill. I mean, you find that the next spring, you know, who, who knows what happened to that thing. So, <laughs> right. you know, he was, he was like, yeah, but, uh, he didn't think, you know, definitely didn't think I could kill an elk with a bow. And, and, um, so that, I, I was, I wanted to, to elk hunt with a bow really bad. So I, I saved my own money. I made my own money putting up hay for farmers and also all one summer. And, uh, and once he seen that I was serious about elk hunting with a bow, he's like, well, I'll tell you what, you know, if, if you, uh, if you get an elk with your bow, I'll, I'll go ahead and reimburse you for everything you spent on your, your bow. Oh, that's and cool. Your camp your camo and stuff, but him thinking, you know, it's like, ah, well, you know, this was the, for the first year only type of deal. Mm -hmm. So he was like, yeah, that's a pretty easy wager here. They're yeah. <laughs> pretty safe for me to, to not have to worry about Dirk getting an elk with a bow. <laughs> so, um, but man, I, I was determined to learn how to call, uh, put in tons of hours calling, trying to figure it out. Uh, put in tons of time shooting a bow. I'd never shot a, a compound bow in my life till that, till that summer when I turned 15 there. And, um, you know, it was like, it was mid, midsummer. I think it was like mid July before I even got my bow. Cause I had to save up my money. So I had to, I had to figure this out between July and, and September, but, um, not a lot of time, one, not a lot of time yeah. to get proficient with the bow. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but it, it was it was cool because I'd always you know I'd shot some recurves in the past and you know you just kind of shot instinctively and shooting a, a a new compound you know we had sight pins and a mm -hmm. peep sight and badass overdraw and aluminum arrows <laughs> cut super short <laughs> yeah <laughs> this thing was a, a, a modern marvel <laughs> exactly so to speak but um sound anyway like a, sound like a gun going on <laughs> yeah <right. Ciao. laughs> yeah Man, i remember but, those uh, old boys yeah but one thing that kind of became pretty apparent you know within within that first season was um when we get a bowl to talk we close the gap quick so i started bow hunting my my best friend and i we started bow hunting together and uh he's later on I, in life, married my wife's sister, so we're brother-in-laws, too, now. But oh, wow, um, cool. it became very apparent that, you know, once you get your bull going, you need to get a, you need to get close to them. And we kind of found this out by, I don't know, accident. We'd go hunting every single morning before school. Mm -hmm. So we hunted every day of September before school. And when a bull would bugle, you know, we, when we'd hear a bull bugle, the, the clock would tick because, like, it we had to hunt just like maybe an hour in the morning, hour and a half to hunt elk. And then we had to beat feet back to town and go to school. Right. Um, Cause we we're hunting, you know, front country. We weren't in the back country, but by, no, by no means. Mm -hmm. So we had to get this bull called in and shot before we had to leave for school. So as <laughs> soon as, soon as we'd hear a bull bugle, it was like, all right, we got to go. So okay. we, we races on. Yeah. We would literally, you know, jog over, to close the gap to get close to this bull and then and try to call one in. So that is, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't jog towards elk too often these days. Right. Um, but whenever I, once I determine, once I figure out where exactly they're at, I, I don't waste a lot of time getting there. You know, most of the time I feel like once you kind of catch them in the mood, 
I want to keep him in the mood. So mm. I don't want to let a whole bunch of time pass. If he's answering really well, like let's say I've, he's responded and, and then I get about three different bugles out of him. And within five minutes, I was like, Whoa, yeah, he's in the mood. So I want to get there as quick as I can. Um, sometimes in, in big, nasty back country, it's pretty hard to do just because the, the dif- difficulty of terrain and then all the brush and whatever, you know, you talked about North Idaho, you probably learned all about the nasty ass brush we have in yeah. North Idaho. Oh yeah. And, and walking two or three miles in North Idaho is what, like walking eight in Wyoming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just a different cat. But, um, Anyway, so yeah, I, yeah, I try not to, I try not to waste any time because I don't want that bull to change his mind or get out of the mood or whatever, you know. And and that and, and that may not even be how an elk's mind work works, but I feel like you know, strike while the iron's hot if I can. So, so I always close the gap super super quick as um, if, if if possible. So that's definitely one thing that I learned early on in in hunting that, that I just kind of keep practicing today. So did you make good on that? Did your dad make good on that bet? Did you get one? He did. He did. He did. Um, third day of season. Um, my buddy, he got in trouble. He, <laughs> he got, uh, he got lippy with his old man or something oh, shit. and he got, and he got grounded. Oh. So he could, he couldn't go hunting, you know, that day. Mm-hmm. And, um, it was labor day, the actual labor day. So my buddy had a driver's license. I didn't, I, I'm like, well, in the fall, you can take driver's ed. I'm like, well, I won't have time to go to driver's ed and go bow hunting in the evenings after school. So I'm like, screw that. I'll, I'll just figure out a ride. Mm-hmm. So I didn't even have a driver's license yet. So my mom took me out. And nice. um, so she took me out and I located a bull and, and, and called it in and, you know, shot him like it was, you know, scripted or something. It was crazy awesome. and killed this, killed this bull. And she, she went home and told my dad to grab his, his, uh, his come along and he's 500 bucks because I, I killed a bull. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't think my dad was ever more proud, but, uh, he told that story to everybody. That's awesome. That's awesome. If you, you know, before we get to your next story, actually, it's funny. Cause I used to be very, um, I don't know. I used to treat elk like I was hunting deer. I was always trying to be like super quiet. And if I heard something bugle, I would take my time and like stalk my way into it. Oh yeah. And yep. you know, listen, I had some success. And I think a lot of that too came from the fact that my first three tags were cow tags and I wasn't doing any calling. So I was kind of like spot and stalking and I had success. I had literally, I, I felt my first three tags. So I started treating bulls that way when I got some bull tags and I, you know, then I'd go with other guys and, you know, see what they did. And it wasn't until like not too really, like probably again within like the last 10 years or so where I've been hunting out of state more and seeing different that I got. Now I'm like super aggressive. Like it, I'm like, the second I hear <laughs> a bugle, I'm, I'm busting through the trees and beelining it, you know, almost, almost, maybe not that, that extreme, but I feel like I'm, uh, really aggressive and I, I like that style of hunting. I like that whole mentality of, you know, letting them think that you're a bull coming in and not worrying about the sound and and the, the noise, you know, just paying attention to the wind and not having to pussyfoot around to get in on them. I mean, that, that has its time and its place too, but, um, yeah. but I, I don't know. I think I, I like the aggressive style of elk hunting. It's more, to me, it's more enjoyable. I don't know. Yeah, me too. I, I'm, I've got a really short attention span, so aggressive tactics work best for me because if anything, I've got, I've got really short, uh, attention span, not a lot of patience. Mm-hmm. So, um, most of the time it's pretty aggressive, you know, take the game to the elk and every now and then, you know, I'll slow things down and, and do it slower. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, that's kind of my MO is, is, uh, be pretty aggressive. You know, you, a lot of bulls that end up fighting, they don't waste a lot of time getting together, right? They, 
they hear each other. And if they're wanting to get together, they, they cover the ground, they get close and, you know, they don't, if, if the ones that kind of just sit across the Canyon from each other and talk back and forth, usually don't, uh, yeah. they don't usually, they use nothing it. really happens. Yeah. They're like, I'm good over here. Well, I'm good over here. And there's no threat. Right. But when you get close, you know, you become, you're, you know, threat either you're threatening their, their dominance as a, as a bull or you're threatening their breeding rights, you know, if you're too close to their cows. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I agree hundred percent. You gotta be, gotta be aggressive. Yeah. There's a lot to be said about that. I, you know, I could definitely think of times where like, for instance, you're bringing up two bugling across each other from the Canyon. I could think of times where I've used that to my advantage. Actually with a client we had here, I had two bulls, bugling back and forth and I didn't make a peep. I'm like, they're freaking going off. Let's just go sneak in and try to get in close. And we did, we got a shot, but unfortunately my client missed, but, um, (laughs) it was, it was advantageous to do that. But, you know, it just comes with, I guess, with, with time and experience of trying to look at the situation and, and do something that's, you know, going to be successful, you know, but you don't ever really know what, if it's going to work or not, but you hope that it's going to work based on your past experiences, you know? Yeah. So, yeah. And I've, and I've, I have had a few times where you hear a bull, you know, across the Canyon and for whatever reasons, like, well, I don't have enough time in the, in daylight hours to hike all the way over there and try to get him over here or go over there to him. So I'll, I'll, I'll start doing some calling and see if I can pull him across. And I've had that work a few times you know, but in 30 years, you know, like three times. <laughs> so yeah. it's not, a- and, and you're a championship caller. So it's like, yeah, that I've, I've never, never, well, I shouldn't say never, never is not a good word, but I don't think that I've ever pulled a bull in like from super far away that I can tell, but who knows, you know, when I was doing a blind calling sequence and of, of some sort and, you know, here comes an elk lumbering in quiet who knows how far away he was i don't know but yeah i don't that i marked that i know that somebody you know that he was bugling from all the way over there i i don't think i've ever called in one from really far away so yeah but i'm sure it sure it happens you know depending yeah i I think it's you know rather uncommon you know so that's that's why i always tell people you know just go to the elk don't don't be a wallflower per se, you know, <laughs> like at the junior high school dance, you know, there's, exactly. there's the, the group of boys on one side of the room and the group of girls on the other. And, uh, the boys are too shy to go talk. And then pretty soon one guy goes over and starts talking pretty soon. You're, he's dancing with them. You're like, what the heck? And then, you know, it's too late, you know, right. but, um, the answer is no, if you never ask. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but if you go ask, it could be no, it could be yes. You got a 50, 50 chance. And I feel like elk, you know, it's kind of the same way. It's like, well, if I stay over here, you know, it's the answer. There's no chance he's going to come in. So I got to get over there to him and, and put some pressure on him and, and, uh, and, you know, 50, 50 chance, maybe he'll come in, maybe not. Right. Exactly. I, I use that philosophy with a lot of things. I mean, people are always like, like going out in inclement weather or whatever. And I go, like, oh, but it's crappy. You know, the chances of us getting, I'm like, but the chances of you getting one, you sitting at a friggin' in the camp or on the couch is, is zero. You know, you oh yeah, you rather put forth a little bit of effort and have you know ten percent chance versus no percent chance. So yeah, I'll, yeah, it's hard to kill them from the couch. Oh yeah, without a doubt, <laughs> it's probably the hardest thing to do. But uh, no, it's just like that's the one thing that I'm happy that I have a go go really go, go, go mentality about things. Like I don't really maybe once or twice in my life that I can think of. And they've been in the recent past since I've gotten a little bit older where I've got up in the morning and be like, yeah, I don't really want to do this right now. You know, I always just like, you know, let's go, let's do it. I'm always like the first guy up in camp and, you know, make a breakfast and do whatever. But and I don't know. I think you don't necessarily have to be that way to be successful because I know a shit ton of guys that are so lackadaisical and they just, you know, and they still kill shit. <laughs> but, um, right, right. I don't know. I just feel for me like a lot of my success comes from the amount of effort that I put into it, not necessarily the skill and, you know, I don't know what else, 
you want to call it, but so. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. And like inclement weather, like let's say raining during blow season, you know, rain, if it's raining hard, mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to be tromping around out trying to call in a bowl in the rain, in a hard rain, just because I'm worried that the, the blood might get washed away. Mm-hmm. Um, in fact, there's a story, my brother-in-law and I, you know, fast forward several years, uh, we're hunting as adults and I call in this bull for him and this bull comes in on a string and he shoots it. And literally when his bow goes off, lightning flashed and thunder clapped, right? It was like the weirdest thing. Oh wow! And it, and it started raining immediately and we're like, Oh man. And so we kind of waited just a little bit, but it like, Oh, we got to go. We got to go. We got to get on this blood. So we started following blood and, you know, 15 minutes into this blood, it was gone. It was washed completely away, you know? So we followed tracks for a while. And then the next day we went back in um, and it was a beautiful day the next day. And uh, grid search, grid search could not ever turn that bowl up. So it was, it was bad, but, but so what I've learned is like, maybe I don't want to hunt in a downpour, but yeah. I'm not just going to sit at camp or sit at home. Um, I'm going to be staged strategically somewhere to where as soon as that weather breaks, I'm out there. And right. a lot of times, as soon as that weather breaks after a hard storm like that, man, it can, it can be good. It can be really, really good. good. Yeah. Yeah. It'll, you know, they'll kind of come out of their little spot maybe start feeding or maybe they'll start rutting around a little bit. And You know, it's Yeah. Yeah. And, and for deer hunting now, that's a completely different sort of like deer rifle hunt, deer hunting, man. I, I love a, a rainy day because, oh, yeah. man, you can, you can still hunt through the big timber and, and not make any noise. And, and there's so much noise and movement anyway. It's just like, man, you can, you can really get up on a lot of deer that way. And, and I actually really like inclement weather during deer season. Yeah. I, I it's, it's funny. You said, but deers, I shot a, one of the one of my my second biggest buck in New York, my it was during a nor'easter, and everybody's like, "You're freaking crazy! You're gonna go sit in a tree stand in this crazy <laughs> weather?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I'm gonna do it. I know it. I know I'm gonna get this buck today." And I went out there um, just to give you an idea on how bad the wind was blowing. The next day, my abs felt like I did a like two hour ab workout. Like just <laughs> I was on fire. My obliques weren't killed because the tree was just swaying back and forth so much and I was just trying to stabilize, you know, with my with my my stabilizer muscle, my abs and back and whatever. And I was just just toast, fried. Oh bad. Fried yeah, from bet. it. But I shot this, you know, it was I I was in the wind all day long. I sat from I don't know, I think it was like 1230 or one o'clock in the afternoon till evening and just before and i knew this was going to happen i'm like even with this crazy weather you're going to get that like shift after the sun goes down as soon as the sun goes down the wind calmed down for just a little bit and here comes this doe bippity bopping and she's got this buck behind her and i'm like oh it's him you know and i was able to make, make a good shot and i killed that that buck but ever since then you know, this is going back 15 years ago. I never shy away from any anything like that because it's like it can happen, and nobody else is out in the woods, you know. And there's it, they live out there. It's not like they're going in their their lodges and 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 you know, you know. Sometimes they'll bed up or they'll go in some thicker stuff and right find thermal cover or whatever. But for the most part what we think is crazy rain is like, ah, you know, whatever, let's go take a shower. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. They they don't, they don't mind it too much. They might, like you say, they may bed up a little bit, but they don't mind it too much. Yeah. And from like elk season here in Arizona is typically during monsoon season, the tail end of it. And we get, you know, you get crazy rains. And I was just thinking when you were telling me that story, I was thinking about hunting in Oregon. We got on this bull and it started coming down. So we just, you know, we threw up a tarp real quick and we were probably like 150 yards from this bull or less. And it started coming down and he shut up with the rain. And it, it was so loud. You couldn't hear, you know, with the, you're in the jungle in Oregon with all the rain hitting the leaves. So we just, you know, oh, yeah. set up a tarp and we just sat there. And as soon as the rain let up, 
packed that thing back up and ripped the bugle and there he goes firing off again and you know we actually i got an opportunity to end up killing that bull i didn't i didn't pull the trigger but yeah you know it's just one of those things you got to do what you got to do make things happen yeah heck yeah so if you got any other cool stories you want to share with us yeah another time kind of a learning moment was uh man this was in idaho before the wolves got there you know and it was there were there were lots of elk in the back country, you know, and it's one of those days where there were bulls bugling all over the place, but I was by myself and I didn't, this was before I had a lot of really cool gear and a lot of really cool gear and hadn't even really come to market at that point. You know, mm-hmm. that's back in the days. Like if you're going to pack out elk meat, you're going to use one of them shitty um, green pack frames you bought for 49 bucks down at the, the, the yep. sporting goods store, you know, then it's more of a, it was more of a torture device than it was a pack frame and they're just terrible. And, uh, you know, and, and there was not a lot of information like, you know, there's like so many people now, nowadays that really know what they're doing, sharing like bag dumps, like, okay, this is what I got in my bag. This is the stuff that works. And this is why don't you pack around with this other shit? You know, you got guys like Aaron Snyder or whoever, you know, that really, really know they, they live it, you know, they've kind of, pared down their equipment to the good stuff that works. And man, there just wasn't a lot of information back then. So I was totally ill-prepared for this. You know, I had a, a shitty little picture like a Jan sport, but it was just like a, a, a made from polar fleece. And I had, hmm. you know, some game bags and maybe a tarp and the Mountain Dew. And, and <laughs> that's about it. And, and, and my knife, I had a pocket knife and my, my hunting license and tags. And uh, anyway, bulls were just ripping but they're in this really nasty, steep country. And, um, I got down in there about, I don't know, two thirds of the way in there. And I, I'm just like, man, I am in over my head. If I kill one of these things, I don't know how I'm going to get it out. And man, I, this is just stupid. And, and I turned around, I turned around and walked away from bugling bulls and, and, uh, man, I'll tell you, I didn't kill an elk that year and man, it, it haunted me. Mm-hmm. It haunted me. It's haunted me for years, you know, afterwards, even to this day, it's like, man, Ah, the good old days in Idaho and you just walked away from bulls. But, uh, today, you know, I would even by myself, I would, I wouldn't shy away from that at all just because now I have the equipment, I have the know-how, you know, so that really kind of lit a fire under me to like talk to some, some people that did a lot of mountain hunting, you know, back kind of hunting back in them days, you know, with what kind of equipment they used. And then, I started, you know, picking a few things up and then as equipment got better, you know, I started buying better, better gear. And, um, so today, you know, I, I look back thinking, golly, if I would have had I, there, I would, I wouldn't even hesitate to go to those places back then. I, I, I didn't want to go to because mm-hmm. I was ill prepared, but t- today it's like, man, I would love to find some bulls bugling like that, uh, there today. But in those same places, if I was to go back in September, um, if I heard anything at all, it'd probably be a wolf howl. That that place is just, you know, you may comment about the wolves in North Idaho. There are just some places still up there. They're just hammered with those things. Yeah. But um, yeah. I, um, but anyway. I, the last time I was there, we, was, we were there for a bear hunt. And um, man, I... <laughs> I mean, the bear hunting was great, but I, uh, I seen so many wolf tracks. As a matter of fact, the, the, the last night that I was there that I shot, I shot another bear, I had two tags and, um, I was walking in on this trail and I was like, Oh cool. There's an elk track right there. Big old elk track. I was actually questioning whether it was a moose or not. Cause it was so big. Yeah. And, wow. And, uh, you know, it was in the mud fresh. And I'm like, oh, you must have just walked through here. Anyway, so I went in and killed a bear like an hour later. I was walking back on that trail and right on that elk track was a, was a wolf track. Oh, man. Yeah, I was like, holy shit, that was a little unnerving. You know, I was like, oh. But um, yeah, you were talking about like the, the old equipment and all that other stuff. And it made me think, and I just pulled this out. I was looking for it right now. Um who was it that wrote this thing? Was it Rob Bob? I think it was Rob Bob wrote it. It was a elk, little elk hunting book. And 
I think I bought it in 1998. And I, he had his equipment list in there. And it was giving off all these things that he was talking about taking his toothbrush and cutting off the handle. <laughs> and, and like all these like crazy things that he was doing to reduce weight and all this stuff. And I was like, yo, this guy's sick. This guy's like next level, you know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But I was yeah. just like 20, you know, 22, 23 years ago. It wasn't that I'll far make- back. And, and now, like, you know, if you can get your backpack system down to less than 30 pounds pretty easy you know <laughs> oh yeah 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 that's back when you know the guys preached ounces make pounds pounds make pain which is relevant today too right but, yeah. um <laughs> i mean it's funny the amount of people that will cut their toothbrush in half but maybe they're packing all around a little bit of a spare tire you know? <laughs> yep yep exactly <laughs> uh but that's for sure but yeah, that's, that's interesting. I mean, we're, we're, it's unbelievable how good the, the gear is today. Even like maybe you could can't afford, it's not in the budget to, to buy top tier gear, you know, even the, you know, the, the baseline stuff is head and shoulders above what we had back in the eighties. So yeah. I was one of these guys for a very long time where I preferred, maybe it's just that I liked the way it felt on me. It wasn't a, like, it wasn't a money thing for sure, at least not at that point because yeah. I was making a pretty good living already. But it was, I, I preferred to wear like, I don't know, Walmart camo, I guess. Like your, it was, uh, what's the name of that freaking, Natural Gear was the. Oh, yeah. And it was like Wrangler jeans with like Natural Gear pattern on it and oh, just yeah. like the cotton. Yeah. And the fleece, and I liked it because one, it was super quiet. I could also buy like 12 pairs of it, and <laughs> you know, and I would have a fresh oh, yeah. pair of clothes for each. I would, I would change from like, if I went back to camp or I went back to the motel or whatever the case may be, I would change into a fresh pair for that next hunt for like that evening hunt versus the, the morning hunt. Like oh, yeah. I was anal about that stuff. So that mainly came from the whitetail you know, uh, side of my hunting where, you know, cause when I grew up in New York, that's, that's what, uh, you know, you were really whitetail hunting and weren't really doing much else. And it was all about conce- you know, concealing your scent and da, 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 da. But I, you know, a lot of that transferred over for me into when I became a Western game hunter, when I moved out here in 91 and, uh, I did a lot of that and I, and I actually, I got a lot of shit for it. People are like, oh, you can't control the wind and you're hiking and you're sweating and this and that. And But I proved so many people wrong over the years that putting that extra effort into doing that translated into success for me many times. Right. So. Well, there's no doubt that, you know, you get sweaty and, and you're going to have an element of scent, you know, mm-hmm. but we've all sat next to the stinky kid at school. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And, and that one stinky kid, he could stink up a whole classroom and in May, you know, things were getting warmed up and dang, that kid smells. Um, I feel like if you're wearing around stinky clothes all day, uh, day in, day out, your, 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 your scent footprint would definitely be larger than if you were wearing, you know, if you're clean. So, that's exactly it. You know, and I've ta- I've had this discussion with people before. I'm like, so listen, you're never going to be able to completely eliminate your scent. But what happens is, and, you know, of course I'm speculating because I'm not, I don't know what the, the deer and elk are, are really thinking, but they come across your scent cone or they where you walked or whatever. And if you have such a low percentage of scent or whatever in that area, they're going to go through there and go, oh, this is old. A deer, uh, a human passed through here, you know, earlier today. Or catch a, you know, a little puff of wind and they're like, oh, I smell human. Oh, it's right. not it's not 80 yards away. He's 200 yards away. So they're, right. on, they're on alert, but they're not blowing out of there. And right. I, yeah. and where it came, it, it really hit home for me is I was, I was actually hunting with Tom Miranda in Illinois and, uh, and Dale, I can't remember his last name now, but it doesn't really matter. Uh, it was his place, but we were, they assigned me this cameraman 
and the kid like smoked out that morning or something. He smelled like weed, like, oh my God, it was so bad. <laughs> and he didn't, and he and didn't smell like he took a shower. And I had been hunting by myself the two days prior filming myself and in the same stand and everything. And I was like, this is like where you really notice it. Like when you're sitting stationary and I had oh, yeah. deer come down this trail and you know, they all lifted up their head when they hit that little scent cone. And I was like, okay, they know something's up, but then they went back, you know, they just moved on. They didn't like turn inside out and go. Right. And so I'm sitting there with him. Now I know it's two people versus one, but here comes this freaking buck that I've been waiting for. I saw it on camera and I was like, he's coming up the trail. And in hindsight, I wish I would have just shot him, you know, head on coming up the trail and not waited, but he got there and he hits this freaking scent cone, which was way further back than when the other deer were, were noticing it. And he like came on glued and just bolted in the other direction. I'm like, Oh my God, you know? Oh, and yeah. I just, I knew it was him. Like I was like, that's the difference right there. Uh, oh yeah. You know? And I, I, and I told, told this story on my podcast a million times, but I was in Utah, I was hunting by myself and I spot this muley across the Canyon and I, get my ass all the way over there and the wind feels fine. And all of a sudden I'm getting a line with where they're at and I feel the wind just turn and it's hitting me hard, like really hard, like 20 miles an hour in the back of the head. Now I'm like, what the freak? And I'm like, Oh shit. And I peek over and, and the deer are there and they're all still bedded and the wind. I could see like seed pods and shit just like flying right at them. And I was huh. there for like a minute. And they all turned their heads and stood up and they were looking around because they could smell something, but they were like, it's not like, you know, it was, it was in the morning still. And I still was, I guess, relatively fresh and it gave me the opportunity. I, I screwed up the shot because the wind was, I shouldn't have taken it to be honest with you, but I missed. And, uh, that's because the, my bow was moving so much. And I, you know, sometimes I get these visions that John Stallone's the best archer in the whole world. And I still take shots <laughs> that I shouldn't, but, uh, yeah, it, but it, it was, it, but the fact that I took the time to eliminate scent, put on fresh clothes and did all that stuff took a shower that morning, you know, did all those precautions. Those deer gave me an opportunity that I probably would not have gotten if they got a full nose full of human scent. Oh yeah. You know? Oh yeah. So that's a shit yeah, that definitely. I quit too. But anyway, um, and speak, speaking of equipment, it's funny what people still carry though. You were kind of saying, you know, uh, you didn't mind the Walmart stuff or whatever, but I got a buddy who, you know, successful backcountry hunter, but he carries two Gerber hatchets, um, hmm. in his pack, you know, to break down his bowl. And, and I'm like, well, why don't you just do the gutless method? You don't need a hatchet. And he's like, well, I like to do it like this. So he'll, he'll, he'll gut it and skin it. And then he'll use hatchets. He'll use the one to, to strike the other hatchet to drive it through. I was going to ask know? you why you had two. Okay, now that makes sense. Yeah. So he'll split the split it right down the middle, like the hindquarters. You know, he'll cut the cut the elk in half with the third rib, and then he'll use his hatchet and beat that hatchet down the spine to split the spine in two oh, to make two really big quarters, and then um, you know split the sternum, take the head off or take the horns off. I'm like, well, man, you, you can do, I mean, are you going to eat those bones? Yeah. You don't really have to pack those out. Well, I guess in his defense, he, he, his friend has mules, so they're going to pack these things out with mules anyway. But, mm -hmm. but man, I'll tell you what, I, back in the old days, I've, I've broke down elk the hard way and tried to do had the hatchet thing one time. And that's a lot of work. Yeah. You're, you're, I'm here to tell you better off boning it out. Like, Oh, it's so easy to bone one out or, you know, you cut off the, the hind quarter at the hip socket, you know, you pull the back straps, you pull the tender lines, you pull the front shoulders, the rib meat, the neck meat, bam, you're done. I mean, that's, it's way less, I feel like it's way less physical strain to do it mm -hmm. like that. Uh, less lifting. I mean, once you get those big quarters split, I mean, shit, them things are, could be a hundred pounds almost uh, oh, yeah. with, with the, with the pelvis and spine included. Without so, God. 
it just you're man, you're crazy. But it's funny, you know. I think I think there's a lot of uh, nostalgia and and kind of doing things a certain way too, where people are like, yeah, I know there's lighter weight or there's a better way to do it, but I just like to do it like this because it's the I find the nostalgia it reminds me of grandpa or it reminds me of of a different time, and I, I just enjoy it. You know, I I guess there's that aspect that that kind of drives people too. Yeah, that and I think maybe too a little people might get apprehensive about trying something a new way when they've done it a certain way so many times and you know it's comfortable yeah, yeah definitely uh, you know what to be it's funny I, I can't tell you you know I've, I've broken down my fair share of animals over the years and I feel like I do it a different way every time I don't know I don't know like I most people have like Okay, I gotta start here, and I'm gonna end there, and they have this like system. I I don't know what it is, but when it comes down to breaking down animals, I don't have that like down. There's a couple, you know, if I have like a, a gimbal or something like that, and I'm doing like a whitetail or a deer, then yes, I have a very specific format that I do. But when I'm doing gutless methods, sometimes I start in the back, sometimes I'm starting the front, sometimes I do a uh, cut up the back and sometimes I do it in the, in the sternum. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not the sternum, but the stomach. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what it is. I haven't found one that I like really love to do. And I don't know. I, I gotta, I feel like I have to just nail something down or, or time myself one way and then time myself another way in the next time and see which one actually works out better. But I'm with you. I, I do. I do the same same thing as you're doing. It's funny. I feel like I could do it the same way every time, but I'm always looking to for a cheat, right? I'm like, oh, man, what if I did it like this? Yeah. You know, I'll save myself a few strokes or a few. You know, I'll save myself a little time or a little effort. Um, but then I've hunted with guys, or I've seen guys break stuff down that man, they were just like surgically methodical yeah, like every, machine <laughs> it was exactly the same and and they were super good at it and i'm like maybe i always question i'm like maybe i should just do it the same mm -hmm. and then you know i'll have that i'll just have that down to where it's just like i guess go right through it perfectly mm -hmm. and i have every 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 stroke every cut down um but i find myself doing the same thing you do it's like yeah maybe i'll try it like this time and what if i did this and <laughs> yeah and i think a I lot of it has to do with when you, especially when you're hunting with other people and they're helping you do it it's like uh -huh. now you're kind of like melding two different <laughs> two different uh techniques or something i don't know but. oh yeah yeah you don't want to step on your toes because the guy working on the front half he's well i do it like this and you're on the back half well i do it like this and you try to get a kind of do a meet some hybrid yeah exactly <laughs> yeah so you got one more good story to close this out well here's one you know i learned this a long time ago as a kid um to, to hunt until last shooting light light till it's too dark to shoot and then leave mm -hmm. you know so that means you know there's there's a lot of guys that will hunt their way back to the truck mm -hmm. and and by the time they get to the truck it's dark but i found out a long time ago hunting whitetails in idaho that and that last five minutes of shooting light a lot of time that's when they move. That's when the big, especially big bucks move, you know, the little, the little bucks and the does will move. They'll come out early, but the big guys, they don't come out until it's too dark to shoot almost. Uh, or a lot of times they don't come out until it's dark, too dark anyway. So mm -hmm. they're nocturnal, but I found that out a long time ago. And, and I still use that today, whether I'm deer hunting or especially elk hunting, you know, that last, that last little few bits of light, you know, that can be, when when you finally capitalize on your on your elk you know but um i think i feel like a lot of people maybe they're maybe they're scared of the dark you know which i can i can understand that especially if you haven't spent a, a lot of time i think there's there's a little apprehension there maybe mm -hmm. people are afraid of getting lost you know in the dark on the way back out but i always like to hunt if possible if uh right up to the right up to the end it gets dark and then and then i turn around and i start hiking and um i feel like i've those last 15 minutes of light i've capitalized on on elk and, and deer too um over the years and uh also another thing is when you have to walk maybe two hours in the dark um back to the truck you're you've been 
elk hunting somewhere and, and you're and you're two hours from the truck and you're h- hiking in the dark and i don't know how many times i've heard bulls i've on the way back to the truck it's like man i wish i'd have heard those things earlier today I right wish, you know i'd walked right by a bunch of elk to get to where i w- had finally turned around you know i might have been several miles from the truck during the day and shoot you know within a mile or two of the truck sometimes you hear bulls in the dark just cranking and that's a good way to you know good starting point for the next day yeah it's a great starting point good way to locate elk or if you're going to locate them in the dark then then that's another way to to find them so awesome where can our listeners find out more about you uh they can find me on instagram uh the bugler one word the bugler uh you can find me on facebook same story the bugler i have a youtube channel again it's called the bugler um got some elk hunting videos i got a lot of got some tips and tactics videos where i just kind of talk i read people's questions and, and talk about you know tips and tactics and then also there's a you know maybe if you struggle uh learning how to operate mouth calls you know diaphragms and learn how to call elk then i've got a, a whole series of how to how to use diaphragms i break it down step by step for every from the very basics all, all the way up to the more more advanced calls so um you find that on youtube on my playlist so but uh yeah awesome. and then all my current like hunting content uh it goes on the phelps game calls channel so like for instance my last year last year's elk hunt uh, New Mexico elk hunts on the Phelps game calls channel. I got a bear hunt, a cougar hunt on there. And, and uh, so that's where all the new stuff resides. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on, man. Appreciate it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. My pleasure, buddy. Hope some, some people were able to extrapolate some, uh, some information from the, you know, storytelling and the, and the experience sharing definitely want to have you back on to do a more traditional style uh you know podcast where i got questions for you specific to to hunting yeah absolutely uh, yeah so man appreciate you anytime anytime you're welcome all right bud have a good one thanks hey guys thanks for checking out the show really appreciate you keep those reviews and those comments coming helps us keep this free do me a favor, go check out Phoenix Shooting Bags. Use promo code John Stallone to save 20%, all one word, and check out Howl for Wildlife. Thank you very much, and we'll catch you on the next show.